Dzień dobry Państwu, serdecznie witam w Centrum Edukacyjnym Polska. Dzisiaj moimi gośćmi są Pan Profesor i Michael Jones. Witam Panie Profesorze. Thank you. A także Tomasz Łupina z Centrum Edukacyjnego Norwegia. Witaj Tomku. Szczęść Boże, witaj. Ale witam Państwa. Tylko przypomnę, że to jest nasza druga rozmowa z profesorem i Michaelem Jonesem. Poprzednio rozmawialiśmy 28 listopada 2022 roku i tamta rozmowa głównie toczyła się wokół problemu rusofobii. Przekazuję Ci głos, Tomku. Dziękuję. Doktor, once again, thank you very much that you, found, found, that you have, 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 ta, have found time for us, actually. Uh, doktor, we are actually asked you for this interview to this month because this is quite special month in Poland because this is the month uh, we have this anniversary of uh, uh, March 1968. Uh, usually this end of end of 60s in the, on the West is known as this revolt of youth against the uh, order uh, of, of like uh, traditional traditional societies. In Poland, the March of 1980, 68 is known as a um, revolt um, as a as a strike uh, and revolt strike of students revolt uh, in fact uh, in, it was the provocation of uh, jewish uh, fraction uh, jewish fraction in communist party which wanted to still gain st still stay in power still stay in in control but polish speaking communists step by step actually uh, pushed them away from the power uh, the result of this um, this revolt was um, that uh, was that uh, many people many jewish po polish uh, citizens of jewish origin could actually go away from the country could leave the country nobody at that time could leave poland but they can actually they were able to abroad, abroad. Then they actually said that they were the victims of Polish anti-Semitism. Of course, they never actually admitted that, in fact, they were hard hardliners, communists. Many of them, they were open uh, Stalinists who, who committed many atrocities during the uh, Stalinist area in Poland. So basically, Polish problem was um, that uh, the history, big part of history, of communist Poland is this fight begins between fraction of communist party and fraction of uh, Polish uh, speaking communists. So basically, at the moment we have this time of turmoil in United in the United States, when actually many uh, like different fraction of diff different Jewish orientations are competing. They are competing not only against. Uh, society, but also against each other. And we would like to talk about this, how it's happening in the United States. How does it look like? Okay. I think one of the fundamental issues, both in Poland and the United States, is the use of uh, political categories to disguise ethnic realities. Now, this is happened just recently, just this past week, uh, in the United States, uh, there was a, a scandal with the FBI, which is our uh, federal police uh, uh, department. Uh, there was a list of Catholic uh, Catholics who have been targeted by the FBI as right-wing extremists. Okay, uh, the jo Senator Josh Hawley brought this up in the Senate, and he called Merrick Garland in to testify. Merrick Garland is the head of the Justice Department. He's responsible for the behavior of the FBI. He sets the policy. And Frawley asked him, why is the FBI going against Catholics? Well, what, what he should have asked is, uh, are you a Catholic? Uh, because Merrick Garland is a Jew. And so what you see here is this fundamental battle in the United States between Catholics and Jews uh, which no one's allowed to talk about. It has to be disguised as a political left-right conservative liberal uh, uh, battle when it's not. It's much more fundamental than that. This is exactly what happened in Europe after the Second World War. Ivo Poganovsky, uh, we published his work in, in Culture Wars, 
said that basically Stalin came in and appointed Jews as the head of uh, the Communist Party in Poland. This was a, a stroke of genius on his part because it would direct the discontent away from Stalin. It would just uh, it would focus uh, you know on a local level on the Jews, but then once it's focused on the Jews, then you're crippled after World War II because no one's allowed to criticize Jews because of the Holocaust. So it had a double purpose there of disguising what was going on. Uh, this using political categories to disguise this ethnic religious battle. Same thing happened in Hungary. The revolt, this is David Irving. He looked into the re, the Hungarian revolution of 1956. It was a, a Hungarian Jewish battle. It was Jews that started this, uh, the, the revolt. The revolt was initially against Jews. So what if you're talking about 1968, uh, the, the revolution of 1968, there was a Jewish subtext to that as well. You had the Prague Spring, which is the same thing that we're talking about here uh, in 68. But also, more importantly, you had the revolution of 1968 in Paris, which was also uh, an orchestra, uh, uh, Daniel Cohn-Bendy, uh, one of the leaders of that thing, was a Jew. Okay, and this is the subtext that never got out. This was an attempt to overthrow de Gaulle, uh, and overthrow that kind of Catholic order that had been that had taken place after World War II in Europe. So you had basically Catholic leadership of all of the countries in Europe. You had de Gaulle in France. You had Adenauer in Germany. Uh, you had Franco in Spain. You had uh, Salazar in Portugal, and of course in Italy you had uh, the the Catholic Democrats. So what you had here was a a, a, a shift, okay, basically back to this Jewish Catholic battle, uh, and no one was able to describe the terms because no one was allowed to talk about Jews because of the Holocaust. Uh, doctor, what I found uh, fascinating about uh, your work is your intellectual courage, because this topic of Jewish and Jewish texts or Jewish groups of Jewish uh, parties competing uh, against each other, it's totally taboo, right? I mean, maybe not now, but, but even now in Poland, when like a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with one of my colleagues, good writer and, 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 and professor, but his perceiving of, of Jewish, uh, Jewish problem, Jewish dilemma is that, oh, this is the problem which is only it, which it is a problem which can be solved. We we can discuss them. Not all of them are are against uh, Poland. Not all not all of them are, all of them are our enemies and stuff like that. So basically, I could see that he was quite oblivious to to the fact that uh, most of those groups are are quite predatory. I would say. And uh, could we talk a little bit about what kind of groups? Who are they? Could we identify, for example, who is standing behind? Uh, is it uh, justified to say that, for example, uh, Soros is standing behind Biden and this um, and this uh, democrat democrat de democrats crowd? Uh, while, of course, we know that um, Mr. Trump, Mr. President Trump, had uh, connections with Habat Lubavitch. So, could we could we talk about a little bit about specific? Spe could we specify those groups? Yeah. So the fundamental tactic that you have to understand is that the Jews will always try to control both sides of the equation. So they will uh, try and say there's liberal versus conservative, but they control both liberal and conservative. So if you're talking about George Soros, yes, he's, he's working with the Democratic Party. That's that wing uh, of, the, of the Jewish political force. Uh, he has had a devastating effect on the prosecution of law in the United States of America because he's put his money behind these Soros prosecutors, prosecutors all over the country who will not prosecute the law, who have basically adopted the racial categories of American cultural warfare and uh, will let uh, black criminals go, go free. But that's only one side of the equation. The other side of the equation we saw in uh, 2000 
when George Bush became president, there's a whole different group of Jews now. They're called neoconservatives. So now we're, we're totally confused. We don't know. Are Jews uh, Bolsheviks or are they conservative? Well, look at someone like Irving Kristol. Irving Kristol is known as the father of Jewish neo of neoconservatism. In the 1930s, he was a Trotskyite at the City College of New York. So uh, what's the common denominator between being a Trotskyite in the 1930s and being a neoconservative in the 1980s? Well, it's being Jewish, because what you had here was another form of Jewish revolutionary spirit. If you don't have this fundamental category of the Jewish revolutionary spirit as transcending all political categories, you're never going to understand what's going on. And so in the situation in Poland is crucial right now. We have basically uh, a Jewish war going on in the Ukraine. Okay, you've got a Jew, Zelensky, in charge. He is collaborating with the Jew, Blinken, who is the Secretary of State. And even now, Merrick Garland, who is the Jewish Attorney General, he's meeting with Zelensky. Why is the Attorney General, that's that's the enforcement of law in the United States. It's got nothing to do with foreign policy. Why is he in, why is he in the Ukraine? What's he doing there? Well, he's going to organize the Nuremberg War Crimes Tribunal, yes, for the Ukraine war. Well, that was a Jewish operation. That was the beginning of the Holocaust. That's how the Holocaust was put in place. So what I'm trying to, to get back to the situation now, Poland is playing an absolutely crucial role right now in this war. What you've seen over the past uh, year is basically the destruction of the entire Ukraine army. The casualty rate has been horrendous. And right now, why did Biden go to Poland? Because now Poland is going to have to die for the Ukraine. Poland, there are, according to Colonel McGregor, there are 20,000 Polish soldiers now wearing Ukrainian uniforms. They are making up for a small part of the entire Ukrainian army, which has been destroyed over this, this war. This war has been horrendous. The casualty rates have been horrendous. And now the Poles are going to be asked to come and die for the gay disco. When I was in Poland, when I was in Warsaw, when we did the Jewish revolutionary spirit, I'm sorry, when we did translated libido dominandi into Polish, there was a, a, a big arch uh, in the center of town. It was all charred. It was all black from smoke. I said, what's that? Well, that was the rainbow symbol. And the Polish patriots had burned it down. That has all been reversed now because of the war in the Ukraine. And now the Ukrainians are dying for the gay disco because of people like uh, Mr. Sikorsky, the former defense minister who wants to get put uh, Ukrainian, uh, give the Ukrainians uh, atomic weapons. He's married to Anne Opfelbaum, who is part of the neoconservative uh, mafia, the Jewish mafia. And so Poland is now being sucked in once again to a Jewish battle, the Jewish battle for the Ukraine. The, the point of this battle is clear. They are engaging now, the Ukrainian, Zelensky, is engaging in the ethnic cleansing of Ukraine. The, the Ukrainians are being told to leave now. Where are they going? They're going to Poland. Millions of Ukrainians went to Poland, and then they start heading west. They go to Germany, and now they're showing up in Ireland. What are they doing in Ireland? They are engaging, I'm going to say unconsciously, in the ethnic cleansing of Ireland. So we have the ethnic cleansing of the Ukraine, so that uh, Larry Fink of BlackRock, the Wall Street uh, vulture capitalist, so that he can come in. Zelensky has already said they are partnering with BlackRock and Goldman Sachs. These are two Jewish operations who are going to come in now after the ethnic cleansing and destruction of the Ukraine and buy up the best farmland in, in Europe for pennies on the dollar. It will be a, a repeat of the looting of Russia that took place during the 1990s under uh, Jeffrey Sachs when all those Jewish oligarchs came came to power. I'm saying if you can't talk about 
the Jewish uh, uh, participation in this, you can't understand what's going on. And that is the whole point, to impose political categories on basically what is an ethnic and religious struggle. Doctor, actually, you are navigating uh, navigated through um, our this um, this uh, uh, this this what you said right now into the to the um, question which I was supposed to ask at the end of our conversation, but I think it's 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 good if I ask right now. Uh, so, what's your take on uh, building on autonomous, semi-autonomous, or 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 in fact autonomous, but in certain way, like maybe 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 mask in certain way, but Jewish sovereignty on the land of of uh, southern southern U Ukraine about this new U Jerusalem. Uh, have you came across? Have you come across of this idea and uh, of, of this project? And what's your take on that? Well, this this when we're talking about the Ukraine, we're talking about the traditional homeland of the Jews. It's not Palestine. It's not Israel. This is the pale of the settlement. And the Jewish settlement stretched from Odessa in the south all the way to Vilnius in the north uh, on the Baltic. That's the traditional Jewish homeland. Okay? Now, this, this, the people have been deprived of their history. The Poles have been deprived of their history. I don't, uh, when I was in uh, um, Estonia, I was giving talks in Estonia. I brought Jurek Prestavo with me, okay? Jurek was a physicist from uh, uh, Wrocław, uh, was involved in trying to prevent the looting of Poland after the fall of communism, failed in that regard, failed to stop the neoconservative takeover of Poland and so on and so forth. So he's giving a talk and he, he's talking about the Schmielnitsky pogroms. This is a, this is a standard... Uh, incident of Polish history, the Schmielnitzki pogroms. He didn't know that there was Jewish involvement in the Schmielnitzki pogroms because he'd been reading this Englishman who is now a Pole. What is, is his name Norman Thomas? Norman Davis. Yeah, he's a celebrity in Poland. Yeah, well, he's definitely nice. He, Jurek Prestava is a Pole who's basing his understanding of Polish history on an Englishman that came over and basically eliminated the, the cause of the Schmielnitzki pogrom which Heinrich Graetz, who was the father of Jewish historiography, said Schmielnitzki was cheated out of his land and his wife stolen, his wife was stolen from him by a Jew. That's a Jewish, that's Heinrich Graetz saying that. And, and this man, uh, Davies, eliminates that completely. And so Yurik, who was certainly uh, had a, uh, involved in protecting Poland from exploitation, didn't even know that. That is precisely the problem that we're facing right now across the board in the United States as well. Because every politician in the United States, whether he's liberal or conservative, has to get a license from the Jews. We're watching that happen right now with uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who stood up. He's a culture warrior. He stood up against Disney. And the whole gay agenda, the whole uh, sexualizing of children agenda. But now he's going to make uh, anti-Semitism a crime in Florida. Well, wait a minute. You can't do that. First of all, it's not going to work because it will be struck down by the courts. But in order, he, now he wants to run for president. He's trying to get the support of the Jews. He's going to end up just like Donald Trump. This is the problem. No matter where you look, do you know who else is involved here? Uh, the, uh, a big shock to me yesterday, Mr. Orban in Hungary. Now, there is a man who is standing up to the NATO tyranny, okay, trying to stand up for the rights of the Hungarian ethnic group, okay, his people. So what's he doing now? Today, yesterday, he announces they're going to move the Hungarian embassy to Jerusalem. What's going on here? What, what this this is not going to work this is not going to work until we have a coherent understanding of what has happened in let's say polish history which is very important in this regard because poland was the paradisus judaeorum in the middle ages this is where the jews went this is where they are planning to go back now and once again you have the jews uh, Zelensky uh, willing to 
fight to the last drop of Polish blood now. And then he wants Americans to die here. These are Jews sending other people off to die for their cause. We have to have a coherent nationalism. We can't have uh, Trump, Trump's America first in his campaign turning into Israel first the minute he gets into office. Same thing with Orban. There was no one who was more patriotic. He, he refused to applaud when he was there uh, with the, uh, the reception of Zelensky, refused to applaud. Now he's uh, trying to uh, uh, lick the boots of the, of the Israelis by moving the embassy. This has got to stop. We have to have some coherent policy, and we also have to have an elimination of the fact that everyone has to get a license from the Jews. Every politician has to get a license from the Jews. Look at Maloney. In Italy, okay, a fiery nationalist, when she talks, he gives these speeches. There are eloquent speeches in Italian about the rights of the Italian people. But then she supports the war in the Ukraine, and she's a, a supporter of Israel. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Well, Dr. Yu, you actually mentioned a few things here. Uh, I think that the key words which, which uh, we can pick up here is a coherent coherent nationalism. Um, in Polish parliament, we have a group of, of um, independ so-called independent um, um, MPs uh, named Confederation. And uh, after a few years, them being in the parliament, only two, literally two of them, there was 11 of them, but now only two of them, is we you can say they're they're coherent in their nationalism. They From the very beginning there, they were talking about uh, this war uh, on Ukraine, that this is a huge scam and we Poles, we should, as a country, we should stay away from that. As for Khmelnytsky thing, I didn't know really, right now it's quite new for me, that uh, he was abused by a Jewish. Uh, in Polish historiography, is totally omitted. And there is a classic book, classic nationalist um, book uh, called uh, uh, by sword and fire, Ognem Imiechem. And there is actually quite key scenes when Khmelnytsky is telling that why he start, started this rebellion. And the guy who actually abused his wife and his his um, his his goods really is the, he's depicted as Polish gentry. There's not nothing, not nothing, not no mentioning about him being uh, Jewish. So that's quite amazing. Uh, for me, I think we're just living in the matrix, and even us who are trying to to get to the core, to to you know take peel off all those uh, the screens, it's still amazing how much how much layers of lies and delusions is still there. Uh, as for Mr. Przystawa, your friends, Jurek Przystawa, yeah, I, I I remember when I was a teenager. I was reading his book, Pause, that was this huge scam when Poland was robbed. Uh, but I didn't know that the um, neocons were involved in this. Uh, actually, one of the um, chief, of chief officers who were responsible for, for auditing this, this uh, scam, this, this affairs, actually got, uh, got prison, uh, got poisons, basically. He, he, he just died yeah. just day before his uh, hearing in the, in the parliament wanted to mention this uh, yeah, in, in terms of in terms of the history i would say oh yeah it's just one opinion this is not just one opinion this is the father of jewish historiography heinrich greats the man who created the history of the jews and he's the one who accused the jew of basically causing the, the schmilinski pogroms i mean that's you can't ignore that that is the jews testifying against their own influence so the fact, look, it, what are we getting back to? The same problem that Yurik had. If you're deprived of your history, you're going to be deprived of a coherent analysis. If you don't have a coherent analysis, you're going to get locked into this liberal conservative thing, which is where the Jews control both sides of the argument. That's what's happening in the United States right now. Okay. It started with neoconservatism. Now you have somebody like Ben Shapiro, uh, who is basically uh, trying to take over the right to life movement. Now, uh, when he showed up in South Bend to give a, a talk to the right to life people here, uh, I had to bring up the issue. 
which is that now 400 Jewish groups have said that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. Now, that has to have consequences for the Catholic Church, because for the past 60 years, they've been telling us, beginning with Pope John Paul II, that the Jews are our elder brothers. Pope Benedict, from the grave, wrote a book in which he said that Jews and Catholics share the same morality. No, no, we've got to stop here. The problem, the main problem in Poland and the main problem in Hungary is the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has been pursuing a failed experiment ever since the end of Vatican II. It is living in a world of illusion. Now, I think personally that John Paul II had a positive effect on Poland because he turned the struggle against communism into a spiritual struggle, okay, as opposed to simply a nationalist struggle. I think, and as he, he dies, his effect is lessening on Poland, and what you're seeing is this rise of this Russophobic Polish nationalism that is going to be disastrous for the Polish people, because they are the ones who are now appointed to die in the Ukraine for the gay disco. That's why Biden was in Poland. This is a disaster for the Polish people. They're going to have to pull back and re realign themselves with the spiritual tradition of Poland, which is the Catholic Church. So what is the, what is the, what is the program, let's say? I did a, a, a book, a, a little book, uh, article called Ethnos Needs Logos. That is the history of Europe. The history of Europe is that the ethnic groups, my ancestors, my German ancestors, were taught the Catholic faith. That's what pulled them out of the barbarism that they were living in. That became their spiritual identity. The Catholic faith is what allows you to retain your ethnic identity, but not be imprisoned by your ethnic identity. As soon as the Catholic Church evaporated in Europe, you had the rise of this predatory nationalism in which one nation was fighting after the other because there was no more common denominator uniting the European peoples. That common denominator disappeared with the Reformation. This is the, precisely the problem that Hitler faced when he came to power in Germany. He wanted to unite the German people he suddenly realizes the country is divided between Catholics and Protestants. It's not going to work. And so he goes to pre-Christian pagan Germany as the unifying factor through things like Wagner, uh, the operas, the Nibelungenlied, and that proved to be disastrous for Germany. I'm saying the same thing is going to be true of every single European country. Right now we have an identity crisis because of the weakness of the church. The identity crisis in Europe, first of all, in Scandinavian countries. My friend uh, Frodi Mityord wants me to have a debate in Zagreb. He was uh, baptized as a Lutheran. Now the Lutheran church has evaporated in Norway. It's not the established church. And he's having an identity crisis, so he thinks he's white. We have a Catholic, Tom Sunich, from Croatia. He thinks he's white. When did Croatians ever become white? You can only be white if you're near black people. And that's only in places like the United States. That's where it came from. Because of this religious vacuum, you have the rise of this racial nationalism, uh, filling the gap that the church is not filling precisely because of the Jewish question. The church is crippled because it cannot deal with the Jewish question, which is what we're talking about. Now, the church did deal with it in 1890. 18, Chibota Catolica wrote a three-part series on the Jewish question at that point. At that point, they could deal with it. At this point, they cannot. And that is why the church is crippled to this day. And the main man responsible for that was Joseph Ratzinger. And so if you want to talk about the, 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 the stage of history here, I think that in 1979, you had a crucial year, an honest mirabilis, 
where in, in, in February, the Ayatollah Khomeini comes to uh, back to Iran and you have an uprising against the American form of imperialism. Four months later, Pope John Paul II shows up in Warsaw. And now you have the Polish uprising against Soviet materialism. This was construed as a spiritual battle and it was a spiritual battle. Okay, both of those revolutions succeeded. But then in 1989, you had uh, the success of the Polish revolution. The Berlin Wall comes down. Two years later, the Soviet Union collapses. Now, at this point, NATO should have been dissolved. The United States should have dis uh, dissolved NATO. Instead, the Jews who control our foreign policy took over and they used it to extend eastward, and the result was this war. We have to go back to that moment in time. Now, what I'm saying is that Ratzinger, uh, so that's John Paul II, his first duty is to the Polish people. Ratzinger's first duty was to the German people. What he should have done is gone to Munich. He did go to Munich right after he became Pope, and at this point he should have dealt with the German problem which is the guilt that the Jews have imposed on the German people because of the Holocaust. He should have dealt with that issue as a way of freeing the Germans up. Because he did not do it, the Holocaust was used to destroy Ratzinger. I'm talking about specifically the Williamson affair, when Bishop Williamson was let in. Every headline in, in Europe, Pope allows Holocaust denier into the church. That destroyed the papacy, he resigned after that, and as a result, you have the catastrophe that is now Germany, where Seymour Hersh writes an article explaining how the, the United States blew up the pipeline and the Germans can't even, they won't even listen to it. They can't deal with it. They are so crippled intellectually because of what happened there. That's the crisis. There's only one way out of this crisis, and that is with God's help. This is a spiritual crisis. German, Europe has to get back to its Christian roots. That's the only way this is going to be saved. It's the only way we are going to have a coherent nationalism for these countries that doesn't lead to fratricidal conflicts of the type that Poland is now involved in in the Ukraine. That's because of the weakening, I think, of the spiritual power that John Paul II had. It's disappeared over this period of time. It's been replaced by a nationalism that is going to lead to, what am I going to say? It's going to lead to a catastrophe for Poland if Poland gets more and more involved in this Ukrainian war. Doctor, uh, yeah, I mean, that's very uh, revealing what you said about this coming back to roots and and uh, other things but i met many ukrainians basically in poland on abroad and um, i'm trying to, to talk with them about this whole conflict and stuff like that and some of them uh, just are not aware that there is this what's really going on on ukraine they really think that there's there is like the the the, the clash between titans that from one side there are us and from the other side there is mordor they even call uh, russians uh, orcs. orcs orcs yes orcs. yes yes orcs. so there is the, the the humanization of enemy and and other things but but uh when i'm trying to talk to them about uh, what you said about wider context they they re really oblivious to that what could we what could you tell them like what's really going on well, you have to explain the, the leadership here. You have to explain that there is a fundamental difference between a Jew and a Christian. That this goes all the way back to the, to the foot of the cross when the Jews became revolutionaries by rejecting their Messiah. This is a fundamental category. If you don't have this category, you're not going to understand what's going on in the Ukraine. Now, if anyone should understand it, it should be the Poles and I mean, obviously, we're talking about borders here that change over a period of time. So obviously, there was a time when these people were living in Poland, in the Polish Empire. It's changed over time. But if you're talking about this group of people, 
they should understand the Jews better than anyone because this is the Jewish homeland. And you have all of this wealth of information about uh, what it was like to deal with the Jews, beginning with something like the Shmilnitsky pogrom. If, if you explain, if you can talk about these basic categories, you might be able to come to some understanding that basically what you have is a, a an oligarchic control, uh, let's call it the American empire, let's call it NATO, that basically uh, uses propaganda to whip up uh, Russophobia among Poles and uh, Ukrainians so that they will die for the Americans or die for the Jews better. I'm not, Americans are not profiting from this war. It's not in our interest to have this war. Now Zelensky is saying Americans are going to have to die for us. It's, you know, after he killed off all of the Ukrainians, now he's going to send the Poles in. After he kills off the Poles, he's going to have the Americans come in. We have to wake up. This is not in, our, in the interest of any group of people in Europe other than the Jews who are the controlling influence in American foreign policy right now. Once you make that clear, I think then that you will have the basis for a pan-European peace movement. But until you bring that out, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Some of them, the younger generation, is really brought up in this Bandera cult. It's really amazing uh, how how this uh, neo-Nazi cult, uh, official cult right now, is cooperating with, with Jewish agenda. As you once said, now they're good Nazis because they're fighting for, for Jewish interest. Right, right. So again, these political categories are superficial. You have to get to the deep grammar, to the, to the, the, the real grammar of what's going on. And that is what has been going on for 2,000 years, which is basically the Catholic Church as the representative of Logos resisting the Jewish revolutionary spirit. That is what that is what the story of Europe is. And when the church is strong, the Jews are weak. When the Jews are strong, the church is weak. The fundamental problem is the Catholic Church right now. Because the Catholic Church, largely because of Pope John Paul II, has committed itself to a failed experiment. We don't have anything in common with the Jews. The Jews are our enemies. Now, as Christians, we are told to love our enemies. And that's true. We are. And that's the secret for our success. Why did this uh, Polish crusade, why did it succeed? It did succeed. It was one of the greatest victories of the 20th century, the defeat of, Pol uh, the defeat of communism brought about by the Poles and uh, Pope John Paul II, because they saw it as a spiritual battle, because they, they had that spiritual patrimony of loving your enemies. And it did result in a peaceful resolution of probably the most fundamental conflict of the 20th century, which was the conflict between communism and, and, and the rest of the world. That's the only way forward now. Now you've got this militarism. You've got people uh, telling you you have to die for the gay disco. Where is the Polish resistance? Where uh, is it there? I mean, you tell me. Mike Krupa, who was my translator uh, during my book tour, he said that the, the majority of the Polish people are against the war. Is that true? Uh, from last polls, I don't remember the... Um exact source, but uh, it was quite credible. At least 40% of people is against uh, the war, against our in investing heavily So in this war, because actually Poland right now is just a hub for, for Ukraine. We, we just, uh, certain politicians say that, oh, well, we are taking part in this war anyway. But uh, society in general is more and more fed up because like, Prices are going up, soaring up because of this. And uh, as one of the politicians said, a spokesman of the, our government, Polish government, said, well, we are servants of the uh, Ukrainian nation. He said it openly. That was uh, disgusting. This what you said about uh, this revolution, a peaceful revolutionary counter-revolution counter in Poland. What can I say? I, could, I would like to add that this peaceful victory over communism was just instantly hijacked, was instantly taken over by 
Well, mostly by Jews and Freemasons. Right. And it was. There's no question. In Poland, that's what Jurek uh, Pristava understood that. In Russia, under Jeffrey Sachs, it was hijacked by the neoconservatives, which were the, the Jewish people, the Jews in America, who were claiming to be conservative at this point, because that was advantageous to them. They're all children of people who were communists and Bolsheviks during the 1930s. So you can't use political categories to judge what's going on here. They are always being manipulated. I understood. Doctor, uh, we would like to, I would like to address the problem of uh, woke mob. Can we say that Jews also are behind this? Because from this, what I know, Judith Butrell, Butrell was also a Jew, a Jew, and she was sponsored by Jew, uh, by Jew, um, uh, Jewish money. So right. uh, is this also a, a Jewish orchestrated phenomena that this madness, which actually is becoming, beginning spreading over Europe as well, because it's, it's actually it's coming to us sooner or later. Is yeah. it also generated by... Yeah, there, there's a uh, when uh, there was a a rabbi by the name of Louis Israel Newman, uh, 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 and he said uh, the Jews were behind every single revolutionary movement in European history. Now that's a rabbi saying that. Okay, so what he said was also true of what happened in America during this period after World War II. Every single revolutionary movement had Jewish leadership to it. So, for example, the civil rights movement, that's the sacred, uh, uh, this is the sacred event of American history. It was the Black Jewish Alliance that had begun uh, after World War I with the lynching of Leo Frank, with the creation of the Anti-Defamation League and the creation of the NAACP. So that was a successful revolutionary movement, which overthrew the governments of the South, of the Southern states in the United States. That racial uh, calculus is still being put to work. The man who created um, critical race theory was a Jew by the name of Noel Ignatieff from Harvard. That's where that went, okay? But in terms of historical development, when the sexual revolution spread throughout the uh, civil rights movement, the women who got involved started to feel resentful, and that created the next revolutionary movement, which was feminism. Feminism was a Jewish movement every bit as much as the civil rights movement, which used blacks as their proxy warriors. Now the Jews are using women as their proxy warriors to overthrow. And the fruit of that was abortion. In 1973, abortion got imposed on the United States of America uh, uh, by the Supreme Court. Then Roe versus Wade gets overturned. And now the Jews are saying abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. Well, why did you tell us that back then? Back then, nobody was talking about it. And this is crucial to understanding that how these movements succeed. The man who was responsible for this movement in uh, the United States was a, a gynecologist by the name of Bernard Nathanson, a Jew. Uh, he was never described as a Jew. The New York Times took control of this narrative, and the only people who got identified were Catholics Catholics who were, were supposed, they were imposing their religious views on the United States of America. Bernard Nathanson was never identified as a Jew. He was only a scientist and a gynecologist, and that's how they succeeded. So Bernard Nathanson eventually has a conversion. He becomes a Catholic. At this point, he writes a memoir in which he said, if the people of America knew this was all a plot by crazy Jews from New York City, they never would have accepted it. So this shows you the importance of identifying the enemy. Okay? That's feminism. And then feminism leads to the next revolutionary movement, which is homosexualism. That's also a Jewish movement. Okay? The Jewish psychiat psychologist and psychiatrist in 1974 got homosexuality removed from the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual for Psychologists. That was the rehabilitation of homosexuality or the mobilization or the weaponization of homosexuality. And then you had homosexual marriage. And then uh, 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 the uh, lady uh, writing in Tikkun magazine says the Jews were behind gay marriage. And, it, and if it weren't for Jewish participation, it never would have succeeded. 
Now, the people, there was a guy named Robbie George who was a conservative. He led something called the Manhattan Declaration. Hundreds of thousands of people signed marriages only between a man and a woman. He could not identify the Jew, and he lost that battle. In other words, the church, as the guardian of the moral law, has lost every single battle in the culture wars because they could not identify the enemy. And they could not identify the enemy because one of the dogmas, in quotes, of Vatican II is that Jews are our elder brothers and we share the same values. That's wrong. The church has to abandon this failed experiment. They have to say it's it failed because it wasn't congruent with the gospel. And at that point, the church will be able to mobilize nationalist forces throughout Europe to have what what is we've realized now that the European Union based on the secular ideology of basically libido dominandi has failed it cannot unify Europe it's going to fall apart the NATO the struggle in NATO right now is going to bring about the collapse of that illusion of unity the only thing that can replace it is going back to the roots, the real roots of European unity, which is Christianity and in specifically the Catholic Church as the vehicle of Christianity in Europe. That's what created Europe. If it weren't for the Catholic Church, Europe would be like Africa, Muslim in the north, animist, pagan in the middle, and God knows what in the south. Uh, Vikings in the north. Style, uh, Muslims in the South and pagans in the middle. No unity whatsoever. The only thing that created that unity was the Catholic Church. Well, I think that uh, they will try to keep this unity by means of creation um, cyber gulag. Right now in Poland, they are really, they're praising themselves. They're boasting, the politicians are boasting that Oh, we are going the first country who uh, in Europe, first big country who is going to have all this on so-called cyber wallets. So all your information about you, even uh, this, um, you know, this beer bag uh, passports about this this disease, uh, beer bag beer bag disease, how they call it in American internet. Uh, they will all, also will be mandatory. So they're trying to to take us by by creating the the basically the cyber gulag uh, i go to one question like ad hoc at the margin of this what you said mm, do, do you think that mr dr uh, jordan peterson is going he know, does he know what what's going on basically of course i'm i'm heading to this i'm like re re i'm i'm going to to i'm, I'm meaning this his cooperation with ben shapiro and also this immortal scene when somebody asks him, can you can you ask, answer about Jewish influence in our history, about, about our problems? And when he said, no, I can't do this. So what do you think? Does he know that his role is just a Shabbos guy? All right. Our... All right. So, so Jordan Peterson is a psychologist. He becomes famous for telling 20-year-olds to clean up their room. Okay, suddenly he gets a following, and then the Jews start to notice this man. So um, um, in New York Times, uh, the guy uh, the guy who's uh, the big neocon says, this is the Jordan Peterson moment. Okay, at this point, uh, he, he's now in a position where he's a valuable property, and at this point he's approached by Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire, and he signs a contract with the Daily Wire. Now, this is a Jewish operation. It's not a conservative operation. It's a Jewish attempt to control conservatism. Okay, that's what Ben Shapiro does. Okay, at this point, what happens? Wait a minute. Here's Jordan Peterson in Ephesus, standing in front of the library of Celsus, giving a talk on Logos. Has Jordan Peterson ever written a book about Logos? No. Can you name five people who have written a book with Logos in the title? Can you name one? It's me. This What you're seeing here is an attempt to distract these people from E. Michael Jones. Now, I, it sounds like megalomania on my part, but if you Google my name, the first thing that will come up is the ADL's attack on me. I am 
public enemy number one with the ADL. And my book, Logos Rising, has had an effect on that generation. And so Jordan Peterson now working for the Daily Wire, getting millions and millions of dollars. His first assignment is to distract everyone by giving a speech on Logos in which he makes a complete fool of himself. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He begins with a category mistake, and he ends up by talking about the man who, the, uh, in the beginning, there was Logos. That's what St. John said. That's what he's talking about. He starts talking about, in the beginning, there was chaos. That's Hesiod. That's not St. John. He can't even tell the difference between Hesiod and St. John. This is what happens when you get some type of opportunist and you give him a lot of money and then you start using him to distract attention from uh, the people who are doing the real work here. That's what happened to Jordan Peterson. Doctor, if you know, if we talk about uh, Jordan Peterson, um, I'm at automatic. I mean, I just logically, I would like to mention, ask you, have you, have you looked into this whole um, event of uh, manosphere, of, of this movement of manosphere? Have you analyzed it yet? Uh, because I know that uh, during one of your podcasts, you've been asked about uh, the Andrew Tate case. So that's why I'm asking, have you, have you, have you looked into this yet? If you're asking me, have I followed Andrew Tate? The answer is no. I didn't even know who he was until he got arrested. If mm -hmm. you're asking me about what the problem is, I've talked about it. I talked about it in Libido Dominandi, the Polish book. I said, basically, uh, sexual liberation is a form of control. And the main problem with the generation that is listening to Jordan Peterson is pornography. The second problem is debt, student loan debt. So between student loan debt and pornography, they are not forming families. This is the main uh, job that a 20-year-old has. to it has to form a family so that he can integrate into society. These are both Jewish forms of cultural warfare. Pornography has always been a Jewish operation, and obviously usury has been Jewish as well, all the way going back to the roots of, of Polish history. That's the role that they played, and these two attacks have basically crippled an entire generation. That's, that's the problem. That's the problem that needs to be faced. People face it in various ways. There are some people, you know... Uh, you know, a, a spontaneous reaction to this was the NoFap November in 2019. And at that point, people started to discover my book, Libido Dominandi, because I was ahead of my time. I said that sexual liberation was a form of control and everybody laughed at me in 1999. And then 22 years later, when a whole generation grew up with pornography on their cell phone, I didn't have to explain to them that they were slaves of their passion. They knew it. And now someone had finally come up with the explanation. That's the difference. Doctor, before we uh, finish, we, I would like to do, ask a few questions um, about certain prominent Jewish groups, especially uh, if you could make it more familiar to Polish listeners. You told us that you were attacked, not, men, not, not once, definitely, but IDL, what's that group and uh, how it uh, it how it operates uh, um, in in infospheres in in infosphere? Okay, so the ADL is known as the Anti Defamation League. Uh, the big event which caused the Anti Def brought it into existence was the lynching of Leo Frank uh, in in Georgia in 1915. Frank was convicted of sexually molesting and murdering a girl in his factory. And at this point, the Jewish press decided to support him. Uh, and they could not convince the people of Georgia. He was convicted on appeal seven times, also by the Supreme Court. And at that point, the uh, judge, the, the governor of Georgia comm uh, uh, commuted his sentence, caused an outrage among the Georgia. 2,000 armed men marched on the governor's uh, mansion in Georgia. He fled to New York City where he was treated as, as a hero. That's the beginning of the Anti-Defamation League. It was always created to get keep Jewish criminals from going to jail. 
And the more power they got, you could say, anyone could say, well, I'm be it's anti-Semitism. This goes all the way up Jeffrey Epstein. Let's go all the way up to Jeffrey Epstein. He was the first trial. He was given a slap on the wrist by a Jewish attorney by the name of Krisner. And after that happened, the ADL gave that man an award for getting a Jewish criminal off the hook. All the way up to Bankman Freed now. He was uh, arrested in the Bahamas or someplace like that. He was uh, extradited to uh, Manhattan, to New York. Well, he's got a Jewish judge. This is the problem now with Jewish law enforcement. It doesn't exist, okay? that That's the problem. So in between this time, the ADL became a blackmail operation, okay? It became a Jewish money laundering operation that basically Jewish uh, crime figures like Meyer Lansky or Mo Dallas could give money to the ADL, and then the ADL, if the law came after them, the ADL would say, this is anti-Semitism. This is the way the ADL, and now they've got uh, enormous amounts of power. Uh, so if Kanye West is the most recent example, uh, he talked about his Jewish trainer trying to shoot him up with drugs, trying to wreck his family, and he was called an anti-Semite. He lost a billion dollars overnight, billion dollars like that. That shows you the power these people have. And that's precisely the problem that we have to deal with as Americans. You've got this Jewish, what should I say? Cheka. It was like the Cheka. That was a Jewish operation in the Soviet Union. They were the thought police. And that's what the that's what the uh what the ADL is in America. Okay, and let's cover the last one, IPAC, because we we are but people still in Poland don't don't know anything about this organization, and if you could if you could say so, a few words about this this well I so so let's let's make an analogy. The ADL is like the FBI, which is like the Cheka, which is the domestic police, okay, national police, the Stasi in Germany, okay. IPAC is like the CIA. That's the foreign policy uh, arm, and that their job is to support Israel. They have total dominance of the Congress. The best example is when Benjamin Netanyahu showed up at the, uh, 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 the Congress of the United States of America, who was given 25 standing ovations by the po most powerful men in the world. Now, why did they do that? Was this man, he, he was uh, the new uh, Demosthenes because of his eloquence in giving speeches? No, it's because IPAC had representatives on the floor of the Congress. And if you didn't stand up, they would take note and they would try to destroy your career. This shows you how total the control of IPAC is over the uh, American American Congress. Another, another example, Cynthia McKinney, black lady from Georgia, was elected to the Congress. So she shows up there in her new office. Before she takes the office of oath, the oath of office, the fax machine starts churning out a document. It's the IPAC uh, document. You have to sign that you will support IPAC before she even swore allegiance to the government of the United States of America. IPAC came in. This is total control of our foreign policy when it comes to Israel. It's been a total disaster for the United States of America because it led to the war in Iraq, uh, the destruction of Libya, the war in Afghanistan, and now the war in the Ukraine. This is what happens when the Jews take over your foreign policy. You get war after war. And this, of course, overlaps with interests of uh, huge corporations. We can say so. Well, uh, look, what is the, the war in the Ukraine means we're sending $100 billion to the Ukraine. Well, that money never leaves Washington. I mean, some of it does. But most of that money goes to the arms manufacturers, the military industrial complex, who then uh, create weapons. The weapons go over to Ukraine where they're destroyed. The Ukrainian army started off with 1,500 tanks. They're all destroyed. So now they want more tanks and F-16s and whatever, you know, and they will be destroyed. And that's more money in the bank for Raytheon and all the other big uh, uh military industrial complex corporations. Yeah. 
Some of them uh, also went to Africa and to other other uh, countries. I mean, other parts of the world. They were just sold by by Ukrainian warlords. It's hard to right. call them like right. Uh, okay. Right. That's what happened to Afghanistan. The weapons were abandoned there. I think we have to understand the big picture, the geopolitical picture from a, a theological point of view. And I'm saying that Russia is the scourge of God right now. Luther said, Islam is the peitsche Gottes. It's the scourge of God. It's the whip of God to punish European nations when they abandoned the Catholic faith. And so at the time of the Reformation, the Turks started marching up the Danube and they got to Mohach in Hungary and they destroyed them. The, the crucial moment, one of the crucial turning points in European history was the siege of Vienna, when basically the, the city is surrounded by hundreds of thousands of Turks and it's ready to go down. The wall has been breached. The perks are start pouring. And at that moment, it's the Polish cavalry that saves Europe. Jan Zobieski. I ended every speech when I gave that book tour with this talk about the Polish cavalry. Where is the Polish cavalry now? Fighting for the gay disco. Defending the gay disco. This is... This is a disaster for Europe. It's a disaster for Poland. It's a disaster for the entire world. Maybe because it's very hard to somebody. It's quite hard, difficult to find a Polish people in Poland. Many of those people who are inhabiting Poland right now, they they really don't care. They want to have warm water in the tap, and they want to to, to live and work. They don't want to get in too much into this um, world of principles. I mean, there was some generation shift. To the large extent, we Poles, we are like, I mean, Polish people living in Poland, they are homogenized like rest of the Europeans. And that's very sad. Yes. Tell them to tell them to look west. Look at Germany. Look, at, if you just are content with hot water showers and uh, uh, as my German friend said, Wohlstand, uh, prosperity, that will be taken away from you. And that's exactly what happened to Germany. No one is worse off than the Germans right now. They have completely internalized the commands of their oppressors. It's a tragic situation. Tragic situation. All because you did not stand up for principle. And why did you do that? Because of the sexual corruption of their morals that took place over this period of time. That's the gist of libido dominandi. That's, I'm working on the second edition right now, adding material that I did not add to the Polish edition. Everything that I've learned in the past 20 years has only vindicated my thesis that sexual liberation is a form of control. And if you give up your sexual morality, you end up being slaves. And the best example I could give is the Germans. So in other words, you have we have to we Europeans, Polish people, and other nations of Europe, we just have to back to our spiritual roots. Otherwise, otherwise we just wither. You can't. It's it's that bad. There is no other solution. We have to ask God for help. There's no other way out. It's too too drastic. The situation is too bad right now. We have to we have to have spiritual help. Well, this is exactly what John Paul II did when he started the crusade against communism. So it's not alien. It's This happened within our lifetimes. And it worked. So we have to get back to that root. What's the difference between it now? At that point, John Paul II is saying the mass and there's a spiritual awakening in Poland. What do we have now? Tanks. Leopard tanks and Poles dying for the gay disco. Doctor, thank you very much for your time and uh, for your comments and insights. Uh, I mean, I mean, thank you for your work, and I hope we'll meet again. Thank you, definitely. God bless you and America. Thank you, friends. Thank you. Dziękuję państwu za uwagę. Moimi i państwa gośćmi był profesor i Michael Jones. Dziękuję bardzo, profesorze. Proszę bardzo. 
Dziękuję bardzo. Oraz nasz redakcyjny kolega, przedstawiciel Centrum Edukacyjnego Norwegia, Tomasz Kupina. Dziękuję bardzo Tomku. Dziękuję bardzo, szczęść Boże. Daj Boże.